Coming up in this podcast, liberal leadership change, state of the arts, agricultural outlook, Patterson's sellout, Curtin's expansion, gold challenges, Western Australians honoured and our special report on defence. Welcome to Mark My Words, the weekly podcast from Business News with Mark Pownall and Mark Byer discussing the important business news and data stories from Western Australia. Welcome to our weekly podcast and welcome Mark Byer. Uh, Mark, big changes at the top of the state Liberal Party, which came as a bit of a surprise. Well, certainly the way in which the change happened was a big surprise. The fact that Mike Nahan has chosen to step down, um, look, there's been speculation ever since he took the role as leader after the last state election about whether or not he would continue there. Um, he said that this was always his plan. He'd just never articulated that publicly before. Yep. He said that he he took on the role after they were you know, almost decimated at the last state election. Um, and credit to him, you know, it was a, it was a tough gig to uh, try and pick up their pieces after being wiped out at the last election. Um, and, you know, he, I, I thought he was a pretty solid, credible performer, sort of held the team together, um, you know, challenged the McGowan government in many ways. Um, but yeah, always up against it, um, given his age. Um, he's in his late 60s. 69. That's right, yes. Um, so he said, look, he's, he's been there for two years. Um, he's, he's sort of the team's together. In fact, he's taken some comfort from the results of uh, the two by-elections in Darling Range and Cottesloe um, and the federal election. Yeah. Um, though I don't know that you can really translate that to the state format. Um, and time to move on. Now, the uh, the timing of it, um, he said he'd had some discussions with his colleagues about when he would make the announcement. Um, that was leaked to the West Australian, so he was under a lot of pressure for a couple of days as to you know what's going on. Um, it was intriguing the way in which he did it. I mean, he, he chose to break the news on the 7pm uh, news on the ABC. Yep. So, He's had a few had a few ding dongs with the West Australian, hasn't he? That's right. And 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 since the change, he's come out and made some very critical comments about yep. uh, their role. Um, what the the business that's the, the the main daily that's owned by the leading television station that also now owns all the co- the major community newspapers and the Sunday mm. paper and the Sun. Well, yes, of that's course. Right. Yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> and the websites associated with all that. Yeah. Now. He insists that um, there was no plan for Lisa Harvey um, to take over, and yet you know, most of his colleagues found out at 6.30pm on uh, Wednesday evening. Um, and As did we, from recollection, so I, I, I laugh when I see it was an exclusive in the 7 o'clock news when uh, I, I had it in my inbox before that. Okay. <laughs> and then um, 8.30 the next morning, party room meeting, and uh, Lisa Harvey was the only candidate, yeah. and uh, she was obviously deputy leader, had been deputy premier under Colin Barnett. Um, so, yeah, look, the challenge is now in front of her. Um, you know, I had quite a few dealings with Lisa Harvey when she was a minister in the Barnett government, um, really enjoyed dealing with her. But, you know, this is a big step up to mm. going from being a, a sort of a mid-level minister, as she was before, to suddenly becoming leader of the opposition and a prospective premier. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to be watching closely. Um, you know, there are some concerns I've got already. Uh, one is the fact that she has been very defensive of the record of the Barnett government. 
Um, now, you know, they did a lot of good things. Lots of infrastructure was built, but left the state with a terrible debt legacy. Um, so, you know, I'm a bit concerned that she's a little too defensive yeah. of the record there. Time to distance yourself from that, right? That's right. Look to the future. Yeah. Um, and the other one is, um, you know, I'm intrigued that there are... Um, yeah, they're the sort of the, the business, private enterprise, small government party, and yet things. For instance, um, there's a bit of a Barney on at the moment with the police union. Mm. You know, the government is trying to hold the line on pay rises and saying the police, like all public sector workers, will be subject to this one thousand dollar cap. And yet the Liberal Party has come out and said this is disgraceful. They've sided with the police union yeah. and said there should be bigger pay rises. And yet here we are, we're still in this process of budget repair, you know, whether the government's due to take us back into a budget surplus, but, you know, this is the long haul. Yeah. So, and also, you know, she's been very big on, you know, people are suffering because of high power bills and so on. Now, you know, that's a, that's a valid issue, but you've got to balance that with the budget repair task, which is what the current government's trying to do. So I'm, I'm concerned about her positioning already, um, We'll wait and see how she goes. Yeah, and Bill Marmion, the new deputy? Yeah, look, um, well, a veteran, um, been in Parliament for a bit over a decade. Yeah, right. Um, Steady hand, bit of grey hair, blah, blah, blah. Yes, yes. I mean, look, you know, there'd been talk about whether he'd be retiring at the next election. He said that's not his plan. He wants to stick around. Yeah. Um, we've not yet heard from uh, the likes of Dean Nolder, um, who, of course, summoned... He had a tilt at the leadership um, under the old government, um, well known to be someone who aspires to be a Premier in future. Mm. Um, he's been quiet on all this. Um, so, you know, whether Lisa Harvey sort of keeps it all together and, and throws down a real challenge to the government, um, it's all there before her and she's got a big challenge. Yeah, yeah, look, uh, definitely. So, uh, I mean, a few observations, I guess. Firstly, on Mike Nahan, you know, I, I kind of think in politics it's pretty smart if... Uh, if you lose an election like they did and your leader's gone, that you put in someone to be the battering ram for a while and just take all the take all the heat after an election. Um, and, you know, I, I, my suspicion is that he's telling the truth, that uh, he didn't have a long-term plan and he, you know, he makes that point. He's nearly 70. So, you know, and I guess maybe if, if he actually was in a particularly good position in the polls or something, he might say something different, but... But really, once you've had a big loss, the first the first opposition leader's job is to just just bang away and and be and keep things so you get back to a credible format. And from Lisa's point of view, if she's going to have a crack at being the premier, well, it's probably a six-year project, and uh, it's better to be a six-year project than an eight-year project, I imagine. So maybe that was what that was about. Um, yeah, I think you know she does have to step up, and I and I'm sure you know. Well, I'll be interested to see if she's capable. But you know, being being police minister is former police minister is pretty. That was a pretty big job. Um, she's taking some positions that uh, that you know. I think I feel that the opposition has been a little bit on that. You know, just the, the things you're talking about, energy and those sort of things. That kind of Mike, I think, the former Institute of Public Affairs leader, that kind of thing. I always thought he sounded a little shrill on those things. Uh, and might have always struggled too that, you know, I know Christina Keneally did okay with a North American accent, but I'm not sure that it was ever going to quite work. I could be wrong. Uh, Lisa comes at it. She can maybe have a go at those smaller subjects as a, a local and small business person, but I agree with you. It, it, there might be some better battles to pick. Um, anyway, interesting to watch. 
She's certainly someone that the, the public at large can relate to. I reckon. I yeah. reckon definitely. Given her age and her background and yeah. her personality. Yeah, and having yeah. a small business background is handy. So, yeah. um, All right, now on a very different subject, Mark. Uh, now, I think if you were a fan of the series of The Young Ones, uh, it's it, which was in the 1980s, it pretty much narrowly defines your age range. It wasn't a long series, and uh, it only appealed to a very select, narrow age group. Uh, now, a co-writer of that series, Ben Elton, was one of our guests at a great event we had during the week. Yeah, we partnered with Screen West for what was a very um, entertaining and illuminating breakfast. Um, the Minister, David Templeman, gave us a bit of a rundown on the government's position, but then um, you hosted a, a really uh, enjoyable Q&A session uh, with Ben Elton. Um, he's a, a great advocate for the arts. Mm. Um, now, he's, uh, you know, he's obviously been very successful um, in that field as a, as a performer, a writer, um, been involved in movies, um, in fact, made, made movies here in WA. Yep. And he, I guess he was making a, a pitch to the business community and talking about the opportunities that exist in the arts. Yep. Um, as I say, it's paid off for him personally. Um, and there are many Backstage artists, wasn't that his line? That's right. There's no such thing as extras anymore. Yeah. They're all backstage artists. <laughs> <laughs> A nice line. Uh, and one particular thing, um, yeah, like many industries, saying, look, there's a role for government to provide the infrastructure that will allow the private sector to get on and do things. And he was pitching for a film studio, not something I've heard a lot of talk about in a WA context before. Um, and yet he was saying, you know, we've, we've seen some... A lot of big blockbuster movies get made in Queensland in particular, on yep. the Gold Coast. Um, and apparently there's a big American movie about to be made in Adelaide because they've invested in a film studio. And he'd like to see the same investment made here. And that will sort of provide lots of jobs and opportunity and then lots of, I guess, more creative, higher art outcomes might flow from it. Yeah. Um, we also had Sheila Magadza from uh, the Chamber of Arts and Culture. Um, she was keen to get a lot more information, some updated information on just how big the industry is. I thought she made some really great points, actually. You know, just there's not enough data, you know. Like, it's kind of, yeah, it, it, she said it, the, the, the analytics just hadn't caught up with the real world. Yeah. Um, and then Andrew Hager, chief executive of Mindaroo Group. Um, now, he's recently taken that role, so running the, the Forest Family's sort of family office. Um, they're great philanthropists and supporters of the arts. But he also spoke about his experience on the other side, with his, his old business career in Melbourne and working for some arts festivals and music festivals there and how hard it was to uh, get people over the line. Uh, but look, you know, he talked about how it's all around finding a a partnership with an innovate, you know, and, and looking for innovation, the other kinds of things that he looks for. Yeah. Um, so good discussions. And then Mark Coglin uh, from WA Symphony Orchestra um, spoke briefly at the event as well from the floor, but he made some interesting observations about the potential to build partnerships with other countries. And I know that Wasso um, has gone up to China yep. and performed up there um, and talks about the way in which that can help in fact, build business connections. Um, because I think Woodside has been a big supporter um, up there. So, yeah, look, a really interesting, very wide-ranging discussion, very entertaining, 
and great to see you know, another business news event where there was a lot of people who saw it as a great opportunity to sort of make connections with others around town. Yeah, no, no, it was a terrific event and uh, plenty said there and I don't think I need to go on. I think the only thing I could say is it was interesting to see that, you know, someone like, it, you know, the creative guy like Ben Elton, but he was bang on, you know, like very commercially astute as well. And I guess in a sense he's... He's married those two things really well. He's a successful artist, as a, as a, but he's also commercially successful, so maybe it makes sense. Uh, and look, I had a lot of great feedback. I've been running into people all week who said that was a great event. Um, now, Mark, uh, we've had some rain, if you hadn't noticed. <laughs> maybe if you've just returned to Perth, uh, yeah, it still hasn't really cleared up. Um, what uh, What's the story out there in the bush? Yeah, I mean, look, the, the, the classic line, good for the farmers, and clearly it is. We had some um, new information come to hand during the week uh, from the Grain Industry Association. Uh, They regularly monitor the state of farming. And what's really interesting here is that clearly all this rainfall is much needed um, out in the farming uh, wheat belt. Mm. But it follows, um, as people in Perth will know, a very dry um, start to the year. And in fact, the farmers across WA have already decided uh, they've cut back the amount of land that they are um, cropping this year. For the first time in many years, it's fallen below 8 million hectares. Mm. So consequently, the size of the upcoming harvest will be uh, smaller than we've had in recent years. Yeah, right. Um, Notwithstanding whether the rain's perfect from now on. Well, that's right. They're saying, well, look, they've made their mind up. Yeah. You know, it's, it's been so dry right up until the end of May. Uh, a lot of farmers scale back the amount of seeding they were doing. The other flip side of it, which is good news for the farmers, um, sheep farming is becoming a lot more profitable for them. Yep. In fact, um, lamb exports last year were at a record level. Mm. Um, so it makes more sense of uh, rather than seeding the paddocks and trying to grow wheat um, with an uncertain outlook, just leave those fields for pasture get more sheep in there and sort of ride off the sheep's back as the farmers <laughs> used to do back in the old days. Yeah. Um, so no, so an interesting um, um, update there. Uh, and look, it follows some very, very good seasons for WA farmers. Um, yeah, uh, compared to some really tough conditions on the East Coast, mm. um, you know, they've had a good run. Yeah, well, I mean, last year, WA's crop represented way more than half the country's total and I think normally we're around 40% from recollection unless we have a particularly good year but last year we were way over half. And as I recall it was a record in value terms yes, for WA because it coincided with you know high prices due to shortages yeah. 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 And look what's interesting Mark, we often theorise in here and you, you, there's no way that the that the seasons of the rain and the seasons of commodity prices could possibly coincide um, you know, in a low, when I'm talking commodity price, I'm talking about minerals. But it does seem like the farmers tend to have, you know, come to the rescue of the economy when things are tough in the mineral sector, and certainly has been in the last few years. And and the farmers have been great. And now it's sort of minerals is reviving, and the farmers are having a slightly tough one. Um, now, Patterson Securities has been uh, one of the major independent brokerages in WA. Um, it looks like it's changing hands. Yeah. There was an announcement during the week, so Canaccord Genuity, they're a big Canadian outfit uh, that's had a growing presence in the Australian market. Uh, They're buying Patterson's, a $25 million cash deal. 
it brought back memories. One of the very first articles I wrote for Business News um, 17, 18 years ago, I interviewed Michael Manford at Patterson's, and he declared that at that point in time, he said, we've become the leading stockbroking firm in Perth. They'd taken over from what used to be called Hartley Poynton, yeah. um, which went through a tough patch. Um, so it's been quite interesting, I guess, to, to, to track their journey. Uh, Patterson's, um, from that point, um, expanded from their Perth base, built up a national network. Um, they're still a very large operation, um, the largest stockbroking firm in Perth by number of people on the trading desk. Um, but they've also struggled financially. Yeah. Um, I think over the past decade, um, they've had one profit. Um, they've said that in the current financial year, they're heading towards a break-even result. Um, now, they're not alone in that regard. You know, a lot of people in that space have suffered as well. But it has been notable that over that decade, um, Hartley's and Euros, as the other two big Perth-based sort of broking corporate finance houses, mm. have consistently done better than Patterson's in terms of revenue and profitability. Yep. Um, nonetheless, Patterson's is still a very substantial business and they provide a, you know, for Canaccord, their focus has been on the corporate finance side. In fact, I was checking our, our BNIQ database, as I love to do. Um, over on, on our, our database, Canaccord has been a lead manager on just over 70 capital raisings with about $1.4 billion. Mm. And that's without having a distribution network. Yeah, gotcha. So what they now have with Patterson's is their own distribution. Which is still national? Patterson's are still national, yeah, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. By far, you know, mostly in WA, but they do have a, a national network. Yeah, right. Um, so now there's sort of a, a big balance sheet there um, mm. and some stronger corporate finance capability. Yeah, right. Married up with the distribution network. So put the two together, should be uh, quite powerful in the marketplace. And following on from other bit of change with uh, when Azua Capital also, I mean, I know they're not a brokerage, but they certainly are in that financial services and investment banking side of things, uh, you know, they've just sold out to a big French group as well, right? Yeah, I mean, that was slightly different. That was uh, Natixis, not yeah. a, hardly a household name, but no. they're, a, they're a substantial international banking and finance group. Yeah, they bought 52% of Azure Capital. Sure. No, I'm um, just more so, mentioning yep. those independent houses suddenly going, well, you know, time, t times are tough here and it's been a long four or five years of, you know, difficult times. Mm. Time to find a big a big brother. Mm. And look, just to remind, you know, this calendar year, we've only had two IPOs yeah. in WA. Yeah, it sounds you know, amazing. That's extraordinarily low. Yeah. And so markets generally are very soft. Um, but look, that combination of Canaccord and Patterson's um, should be quite formidable in the marketplace. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Um, uh, Curtin University has uh, big plans to develop its campus. They announced a major funding deal. So. Curtin's been planning for a long while to get a, a, a major development out there where they're combined, I guess they're, they're broadening beyond their, their traditional focus. Um, so they've partnered with a group called Infrared Capital Partners. Now, I love when these sorts of deals come up because it just shows how much money is floating around the global marketplace. Mm. And if you go out there searching for a partner for the right deal, um, it's amazing where you find the money. 
Um, so once again, you know, hardly a household name. This group's done a few other transactions in Australia, um, but no, none in WA that I'm aware of. So they're coming in as a partner with Curtin. It's a, what they're calling a 35-year partnership. So they're going to build um, new student accommodation, a thousand beds out there. So reinforcing that push for international students in particular. Uh, they're building a boutique hotel, they're building apartments, there's going to be commercial and retail. So it's, it's as I say, it's, it's more than just a, you know, a bunch of lecture theatres and tutorial rooms and labs. Um, it's making the campus um, a more sort of integrated place and that's the whole idea. They want to get industry in there, uh, working with the academics and the students, um, building on their research capability, um, but also very significant from a construction perspective. Yep. You know, universities and schools, been a lot of construction work at, at those places over the years and yep. continuing. Uh, ProBuild has picked up the gig as the builder for a lot of this work out at Curtin. Uh, Lendlease won a big contract out there just last year, $100 million contract. So, um, you know, a significant development for Curtin. Um, with a, a really interesting partner and lots of good commercial opportunities off the back of it. Yeah, well, look, I reckon I'm out of Curtin on nearly a weekly basis for a bunch of things, and uh, and uh, it's uh, yeah, the, the the building and the, the the preparation for large building <laughs> and construction work is is clear. Um, Mark, you know, perhaps uh, we probably should have talked about this one straight after the Patterson story, but uh, the gold sector is sort of almost a two-speed economy of its own. Um, some miners are doing well, but there are many that are struggling. Yeah, look, we spoke last week about um, Gascoigne Resources going into administration, uh, Dacian Gold doing a major downgrade um, of their production outlook, um, and the, the, the lack of the, how tough it is for the junior miners to raise money. Yep. Um, you know, there are some other, there's some big operations here, obviously. Gold is a big industry in WA, and the Aussie dollar gold price recently hit an all-time high, um, just over $1,900 per ounce. Mm. And yet, there continue to be concerns over the long-term future of the industry, particularly around the limited investment in exploration. So the latest contribution to this discussion was Ibis World. So they're a big market research firm. Um, and look, they've named several big operations where they're saying, look, long term, uh, we don't believe these people have sufficient um, reserves to sustain their operation, you know, beyond about five years. Mm. So it includes, you know, Goldfields with their Agnew Mine, uh, Regis Resources with their Garden Well project, uh, Northern Star at Jundee, uh, Newcrest up at Telfer. Um, so they're saying, yeah, these people need to invest, and, and their view is that what we're currently experiencing is a bit of an overhang from a period four or five years ago when the gold price was a lot weaker. Everybody cut back their spending, and one of the things that gets cut is exploration spending. Yep. So it comes back, or can come back, to bite you. Now, you know, the, the, this prognosis from Ibis World um, is that the you know quite gloomy. Um, and it's certainly not shared right across the industry. Um, we spoke just a couple of weeks ago to Sandra Close at Surbiton Associates. You know, that's a group that's been tracking the gold industry for a long time. Um, she's quite dismissive of these sort of more gloomy outlooks. Yeah, you know, right. her, her view is, you know, they'll sort it out. They'll, when they'll, they'll get the drill rigs out there and they'll 
get sufficient gold to keep on going. But look, you know, an interesting debate for a major industry in WA. Agreed. Um, now, Mark, a number of WA business leaders were named in the Queen's Birthday Honours list. Uh, and in fact, I went to farewell uh, drinks for Greg Wall, one of those named. Uh, he's stepping down from Capricorn Society, one of the mutuals. Uh, who else was there? Yeah, look, that's a really interesting collection of names and, and uh, very prominent people. So Nicola Forrest from Mindaroo, um, got one of the big gongs, uh, the officer of the Order of Australia, um, along with um, Neville Owen, um, former judge, um, Sue Murphy, who ran the Water Corp successfully for many years, and Diane Smith-Gander, you know, very prominent company director yeah. um, and, and very vocal advocate for uh, women in business. Um, some of the others, Graham Wallace from Wallace Drilling, you know, family-owned drilling contractor, been very successful for many years. Uh, Harry Hoffman um, from Ardross Group, um, major property de- developer around the state. Um, Tony Kiernan, well-known company director, chair of Saracen Minerals at the moment. Um, but what I thought was interesting too, uh, I mentioned Diane Smith-Gander has been a a very prominent advocate for for women in business. So she would have been quite pleased to see several appointments that got announced during the week. Um, Di is a director on the board of West Farmers, and they've in fact added Sharon Warburton to their board during the week. Um, I mentioned Sue Murphy, retired from the Water Corporation. She's just joined the board at Monodolphus Group. She's got a few other board positions. She's on the UWA Senate, Fremantle Dockers, um, but now gone on to a listed company, so well done, Sue. And then Northern Star Resources. Um, they've added a couple of new directors, Nick Kernotta, formerly of Fortescue Metals, but also Mary Hackett, um, used to run uh, GE's oil and gas business out here. So a nice collection there over the past week of very successful women uh, taking uh, board positions at uh, some great WA companies. Yeah, no, it's good news. Okay, great wrap-up. Um, Mark, just briefly, our special report is on defence this week. What has Matt McKenzie found? So a very thorough 14-page um, feature on uh, the defence industry. Uh, there's been a lot of political debate around the big defence contracts. Um, Adelaide has been a big winner, uh, winning a lot of the big construction contracts. Um, Though WA hasn't missed out entirely, we've got the offshore patrol vessels, they'll be built down at Henderson, uh, that's between the German group Lewison and Sivmec, local contractor. So some opportunities on the construction side, but the broad theme that Matt's pursued is around the sustainment work. It's a bit like an oil and gas project or a big mining project, these are sort of 20 to 30 year assets and you need to spend a lot of money year in year out keeping them ticking over yeah i think in the maritime world it's like isn't it every three years or every five years you spend the same as in construction i think it's quite substantial so look he's spoken to people like bae and asc they've both got very substantial operations down at henderson um but you know some local businesses uh like you know well l3 oceania and air flight um, Raytheon, you know, they're a big global group. But they've got operations here. But even some of the, you know, people like Badge Constructions and Ertec, um, they've picked up a lot of work on defence facilities. Um, IT, you know, Kinetics won some big contracts. So, you know, a nice big wrap-up from Matt about lots of work in the defence space. Brilliant. Look forward to reading that. Thanks, Mark. 
Uh, earlier this month, I had David Singleton from Shipbuilder Austell as my guest on stage for a very enjoyable success and leadership breakfast. My next guest is another David running a similar sounding business, which also has a maritime theme. David Carter from Austral Fisheries is one of Australia's most experienced seafarers who has taken the Austral produce around the globe. Come and join me on July 16. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Mark My Words with Mark Powell and Mark Beyer from Business News. For more information, please go to businessnews.com.au forward slash podcasts. And to receive these regularly, search for Business News WA in iTunes or SoundCloud.